Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is Pathfinder 201, GMing Basics. This is the first part of our 200 series all about GMing the game. We just finished up our 100 series about playing the game. And this is kind of our analog to 101 basic mechanics. If you've never played before, you can listen to that episode and, and sit down at a table and have a good idea how to play. And then you can listen to the other episodes to get more specific. Same thing here. If you've never GM before, you can listen to this episode, get an idea how to GM. And then the rest of the episodes in the 200 series will kind of refine that play. I find a common theme amongst tables tends to be having trouble finding GMs. People who are players who have never GM before, they feel like it's this really difficult job. They're really scared too. It's a lot of responsibility. And I'm not gonna say that it's easy, but it's nowhere near as hard as people make it out to be. Right, it's, 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 uh, you think of the big bear, you get over, oh, oh, it's just a little cub. We can deal with this cub. There, I mean, we have a whole 200 series that's gonna have like 10 episodes about GMing, but that's just because over time, there's a lot of philosophies you can develop. But when you first start out, it's just a matter of fact of you and your players are just talking to each other. Right. And you're reacting to each other, and you're just the arbiter of that. So there's going to be some things that you need to do. The necessities of playing a game. Let's go through that. We're going to do it in just six easy steps. You, too, can play Pathfinder. Step one, you need a gym, and you need players. I recommend uh, three. Three is like... GMs? Yes, three GMs. <laughs> yes. What, you know, if you have a big enough group. One GM, of course, and I recommend three players is my number. Four is my max. And two is my minimum. But I'm a very conservative person. You, There's people that do solo campaigns. They GM for just one person. Usually a lot of couples like to do that. And I know you you go up to like five players. Yeah, I have once done a campaign with eight players. And it was a complete nightmare. Please never do it. Um, it actually gets exponential. The amount of side tracking for each person above four. Four is like the perfect number, I think. Three to four. Five is kind of pushing it. Some people, there might be some inner talking between people. Then you get six people and then there's side conversations. There's a lot of them. Then you get seven people and that's exponential. Now there's more people talking to each other and getting sidetracked. And then eight is just like, where did this cat come from? <laughs> Why is there a goat sitting here? But you need you need to designate a DM and you need players. Right. Step one. Step two, you need to determine are you doing this in real life or are you doing it online? Each has its benefits and drawbacks. And sometimes you need to do it online because it's not possible to meet in real life. I personally prefer doing it in person. Yeah, me too. But Trailblazers, which is on this network, is online because one guy's in Philadelphia and the other two of us are in Jersey. That's what you got to do. And before that, towards the beginning, we had another guy in Maryland, like... That's the way you have to do it. You don't want to play together and have fun. I've run games online as well because out of necessity usually, but sometimes we just prefer it because it's like, eh, let's not drive today. And you need different equipment based on what you're doing. So step three is equipment. If you're doing it in real life, you're going to need dice for everybody. You need your character sheet. Uh, you can either have that online like we talked about. You can use a program. We talked about that before. Or you can have the pen and paper and do it uh, old-fashioned way. You need a mat and markers if you're going to be using the grid battle system. You need tokens for that a laptop or a book to look up the rules because believe me you're not going to know all the rules these are big books <laughs> if you do know all the rules you're really cool and your name is probably chris perkins <laughs> uh, a gm screen uh, just something to separate you from the, the gm from the players because there's times when you need to make roles in secret and the players need to not know what those roles are or sometimes they do something really dumb you have to make a face but you don't want them to see it so you gotta duck down <laughs> and scream, be like oh god why <laughs> and then you remember it doesn't block sound so they're like why is he making those noises <laughs> and of course a pen 
pencil and paper is a variety of things you need to write that you don't want to throw on a character sheet. If you're doing a session online, obviously every person in their place of residence needs a computer. They need a stable internet connection because you're going to be playing for a certain amount of time straight. They need, obviously, a microphone so that you can hear each other. Unless you can do text games. That's the thing, but I think voices are... Yeah, there's play-by-post and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And also, it's optional, but you can use webcams. It If you're using microphones, I do suggest using webcams if possible because being able to see each other means that there'll be a lot less people interrupting each other because they can see the cues when people are going to talk or something like that. Listen to the first 10 episodes of Trailblazers and then listen to the next 10, and you'll see the difference what it takes when people actually use good microphones. Get a microphone that's on a headset, even if it's a cheap headset. Do not use a laptop microphone, please, for the love of everything that's holy. We can hear your cat. We can hear we can hear you breathe. <laughs> and it's gross. We can hear you eat. <laughs> we can hear your hair. It's not you didn't shower because everyone's sitting inside today. I can, I can hear it flow. And then step four is... A schedule and length. You need to determine ahead of time when are we meeting and how long. Of course, Caleb, derp, 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 you're so stupid. Yeah, we need... Listen, people don't show up. You need to make it clear this is the time. Scheduling is, I think, one of the most most annoying parts for me is scheduling because... I, I don't think it's, like, specific to role-playing games either. I think adults just have trouble sticking right. to schedules no matter what it is. So when you get... If you have, like you said, five players and then one gym, if you have six people's schedules to get together, oh my gosh, that's crazy. We just did an episode where we celebrated 5,000 plays. And it took a long time, and it was difficult to get a good time for five people all to get together. For like an hour. For an hour. Over the internet. Right. Not in real person. Right. So it can be tough. um, And then you have to adjust like, oh, I get so infuriated when people cancel last minute. But sometimes that happens. But anyway, so schedule and time and and length. You need to know. Because I know you... You used to run eight-hour sessions with yep. one of your games, and I never have done a session over four hours, so you have to find what your group would prefer. Do you have time to do it all day? Do we want to do it all day, or yeah. do we just want to sit down for, like, four, three hours? Yeah, we were a bunch of college students. I think it was four of us and me, and we did eight hours once a week for six months with little breaks, like, you know, Christmas and stuff like that, um, because we all were just, it was the first time playing, we were really excited, and that's how we did it, and we all were committed to it, but then later on, other things became more important, and it's like, all right, we need to break this down, because I want to do this instead of, you know, what they call values, and just change over time. I want to eat food and <laughs> sit on the couch. <laughs> I just need some me time to recharge. Step five, make characters. All of your players are going to need to make characters. You set up the rules for that, you set up, like, what level they start at, what point buy they right. use, what kind of point buy system, or are they rolling for stuff? You all have to confer and come up with that. Point by rolling for stats, where can I learn about this stuff? We talk about both of those subjects during the character creation episode of the Pathfinder 100 series. Right. This is Pathfinder 107 character creation. Good job. Repetition is great. And then step number six, sit down and play the game. Actually show up on the day you scheduled at the right time (laughs) and sit down and shut up and (laughs) play the game. Christian's had no troubles with any of these things, as you can tell. No, never. Because I murdered them. Now we kind of like, oh, those are the six steps to playing, but there's actually something GMs have to do a little bit extra, and that's you actually have to prepare for the game. When your players are making backstory and characters, if they're making backstories, uh, you've got to prepare that session's activities. Now that's kind of weird, Christian, because I thought it's a role-playing game where we make up stuff. What, what would I have to make up ahead of time? Well, it depends. If you're running a sandbox campaign, yeah, it's going to be harder to plan, but if you're doing, like, you know things are going to happen to your players, like, oh, someone's seeking them out and is going to attack them, 
well, the players don't get a choice in that. They're going to get attacked, and you have to plan that out. Right. If you're making a homebrew campaign, you have to prepare your encounters. An encounter is when the players fight some NPCs. You have to create NPCs, people that they're going to interact with that they're not going to fight. Or you, you maybe know. not fight. It depends <laughs> how they do. You know they're going to be going into a city, at least. They're probably not going to be homeless people living in the wilderness. There's going to be people populating that city, and you come up with the NPCs. Right. You know what? Now, this isn't daunting. I need to come up with every shop and store. But just come up with some basic things that if you know your player is going to do. And as you play with them more, you'll get to know them. Like, this guy always likes to go out to the blacksmith. Or this guy. I just have, uh, ran a session where this guy loved to go to the gym because he wanted to be the best fighter. So he liked to go to the gym and challenge people. So I had to create characters for the gym. Like, you probably don't need to make a name for the librarian secretary. Oh, my gosh. We give you a huge, a huge tip. We're going to do tips later, but I got to do it now. Just get a little piece of paper and write down a ton of names. That way, when someone asks your name, you can just look at it. Because off the top of my dome, off of my thinker cap, I can't think of names real quick. Right? Like, if I'm not in a session, it's like, oh, I can come up with all these great names. <laughs> then when I get into a session, they're like, what's this guy's name? I'm like, oh. Uh, Gar- Gary Busey. His, his name is Gary Busey. That's our fifth Gary Busey, Caleb. <laughs> President Gary Busey. Mayor Gary Busey. Now the blacksmith's Gary Busey. Uh, it's a big family. <laughs> You need to make uh, the general story outline if you're making a homebrew campaign. Homebrew uh, is you're making a campaign yourself. You're not using any pre-published text materials. Those are called pre-mades. But you're doing a homebrew campaign, you're going to have to come up with a basic story outline like there's a cult somewhere doing bad things that they'll catch wind of and hopefully they'll be interested in stopping them. Why is the cult doing the bad things? Do they have some ulterior motives? Who is it affecting? Where is it happening? Why is everyone's name Gary Busey? Now listen, that's a storyline. You're going to find out that. (laughs) The Gary Busey cult. (laughs) (laughs) If you're playing a pre-made, read ahead in the story. Read ahead in the book. See what they're coming up with again so you can plan for it. We have uh, we're gonna have a whole episode on pre-made versus homebrew campaigns. I myself have run a lot. I know Caleb hasn't done any pre-mades, uh, but you gotta read the book a lot. I think I've read the entire book for Rise of the Rule Lords like three times now. Gotcha. And I still have to look stuff up occasionally. So let's talk about what are your responsibilities as a GM. You have some things that are on you that isn't on the player. The onus will be on you to kind of lead the session. You're the guy, or you can you you mentioned you can proactively. Yeah, as a GM, you have you have to be proactive. It's good if the players are being proactive, but the session cannot begin and cannot progress if the GM isn't being proactive and putting out things for the players to react to. As a GM, you also have to be reactive to what the players do, and but you have to be proactive just to start things off. You're going to have to put up a setting or an NPC or an encounter that then the players react to. The very first time you play, you give them some sort of scenario. Like the first time I played with one of my guys, we started off in an encounter. I just started them off in an encounter on a train. They had this cool train encounter. Then from there, you let them go. You got to initiate something, give them, especially first time players and first time GM. Sometimes you need to give them a little, feed them a little bit more to get them going. Trailblazers, I think, is a great example of this. The first episode, I'm telling them things that when you're listening to episode 10 and 11, I'm not telling them anymore. I kind of feed them a little bit more, you know, okay, well, you know, you could hit the goblin or you could do this. Or now there is a thing in town. And then later on, you're just like, what do you do? Yeah, you don't want to leave too many options for newer players. Even experienced players, too many options will be like, um, well, uh, yep. oh, Listen, mm, on Google, have you ever gone past page two of the search results? No, there's <laughs> just too many options to overwhelm me. If you can't find it until you're done. You're also going to want to tell them how things work. When your players are playing, you know, they are going to be doing, they're going to try to 
represent in the game different things. I want to hide. I want to do stuff like that. A lot of times the players will be kind of saying, I want to make a stealth check. I want to make a diplomacy check. No, 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 no. You're kind of, you're the one to talk about the rules. They're the ones trying to immerse themselves in the role play. I want to hide in the shadows if the guy walks by. Then the GM says, okay, make a stealth check. Or I want to, you know, I'm, you just talk to the guy like, you better give this to me or I'm going to kill your family. Okay, that sounds like an intimidate check, right? Yeah, it should be the players represent what they want to do in character, in game. And then the GM will say, okay, so to represent that, we will do a, say, diplomacy role. Like after you just talk to someone like, and you're like, oh, well, maybe we can help you with that. Maybe we can do that. You'd say make a diplomacy role. Right. The player shouldn't walk up to someone and say, I want to make a diplomacy role. Or if you listen to Trailblazers, Josh and his sense motive. I want to sense his motive. That's not how it works, Josh. The burden of knowledge is on the GM. You have to know how the things work. Now, don't take that wrong. You can distribute things to your players. If your player's a swashbuckler, he's like, uh, how does how does... How does the parry and repost work again? You can just say, hey, we'll get back. We'll skip your turn. You come back to your turn. You look up that rule and you tell me how it works. I can't tell you how many times I've asked my players who like cast a spell. I say, how does that work? And they tell me how the spell works. Right. But like if they come to you with the exact wording of it, you should know how to interpret that. Right. As a GM, it's your job to answer all the players' questions, which is I'm pointing at you players. It's really important. Ask questions ask so many questions like i've never just walked into a room my dm's like this is what the room is like and then just took it from there i was like okay so like how high is the ceiling is this in the room you know how angry it's it's nothing to do with the players they have all the right in the world to ask this question but i get the question how far away is he and my mind just never developed a sense of length if you said caleb tell me what's 100 feet away from you i couldn't do it (laughs) so it's just the worst thing in the world the mat is the best thing for me because they'd be like five ten it's 20 feet away (laughs) how tall is the thing uh it's a chapel really tall is that a measurement (laughs) but you're right players will ask that and they're not just being benign a lot of time it's they have abilities or things that require range how far away is he from me because my gun has a range increment of only 20 feet whatever now listen as a gm it is not your responsibility to kill the players it is not gm versus players right you are not gary gygax (laughs) the book talks about when you make an encounter when you make an encounter you're not trying to make a fair encounter a fair encounter would be 50% of the time your players would win and 50% of the times they would lose. If that's the way an encounter was, every two encounters, there would be a TPK. You're not making a fair encounter. You're making a fun encounter, something that challenges them that they can overcome. Now, we're not saying like call to your players and never kill them. There should be challenging encounters, but it should be reflective of what they choose to do like some encounters are going to be very easy sometimes they just they're level like eight and they stroll upon a band of goblins that they're gonna stomp on them and that's okay it's great to make encounters like that occasionally to make your players feel powerful sometimes they're gonna bite off more than they can chew and they're gonna stroll up to a lich unprepared and they might get tpk'd if they're not prepared there's a, a online role playing it's called role play r-o-l-l-p-l-a-y and it's a thing hosted by Koibu, or his real name is Neil Erickson. And when one of the players die, one of the first deaths of the whole thing, he was mentioning, listen, it's really unfortunate. We all really liked Vincent, but the threat of death is what makes this game real. And sometimes people die. If there's no threat of death, why would we play? We'd have no fun because you could just do whatever you want. So what comes with the threat of death is sometimes somebody dies. It's unfortunate, but don't worry, we'll roll a new character and it'll be fun. And it's, it's just so easy for the DM to just... You know, as a DM, you can just, oh, CR12 dragon, 
against a group of people who are right. like level six. Like, really you, you can kill them at any time you want, but that's not the point of the game. The point is to tell a story and to represent that story through balanced and variable encounters. The point is to have fun. Yeah. Make everything. And you're telling the story together. Your GM as responsibility is to kind of set the story, but as a responsibility is to let your players help you tell the story. They'll... <laughs> this happens all the time. They're very interested in NPC who I gave little to no thought to. Go with it. Let that influence and inform the story. Literally, my entire campaign was swung in a new direction that became an awesome direction. All my players loved this one character, and he became the crux of the whole campaign, and even to the point where he's on in Trailblazers now. That's the way it happened. Your players influence things always for the better. Oh. Mostly for the better. Like, players at any point can succeed or fail at anything presented in front of them, and you have to be able to adapt to whether they succeed or fail at this thing. Like, you can't have a part of the story, and you're like, okay, they're going to go into this tomb, and then everyone's going to fall down a hole. Because the players, you're going to do that, and they're going to be like, wait, don't I get a reflex save? You'll be like, oh, yeah, and then maybe the party gets split up. Maybe everyone succeeds at the saving throw. You have to be able to develop the story from that point. Right, and you can be kind of overprotective and like, oh, and yeah, you see the, 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 I rolled a three. The DC was two. Excellent. <laughs> Failure can influence the game just as good as successes can be. Sometimes some of the coolest moments in the game comes with somebody's failed and they find a way out of it. In, in Trailblazers, spoiler alert, when they were fighting the Lich, right before they got to the Lich, they fought this Vrock thing and the they failed like a roll and the Vrock grabbed him and flew up in the air and I gave him a chance to get out of the grapple and he failed it. He's like 500 feet in the air, however, I can't do distance, but really high <laughs> in the air where if I dropped him, he'd die. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose a player. And then he dropped him. The guy made reflex slave, grabbed the Vrock's tail. Another player thought, oh, I'll freeze the room, froze the room and the Vrock fell to the ground and all these really cool things happened keep this guy alive when i thought oh he's dead when he failed one roll it's just this cool thing happened because of failure it's something we'll touch on more in uh the extra credit for this episode uh table etiquette uh and uh, gming philosophies that failure is a really important part of tabletop rpgs you know a lot of people come to tabletop rpgs from video games where failure is basically impossible if you fail you start over right. you start the level over you continue from whatever point from before Give me but, that checkpoint son yeah in Tabletop RPGs, you know, once someone fails at something, the story continues. You have to move on from that point. And it, it would be interesting to see somebody play like a checkpoint campaign. That'd be interesting with saves and stuff. <laughs> You're playing Final Fantasy VII. You put little question marks to save on. You're also, as the GM, the arbiter. If there is a conflict of any kind, whether it be with against the rules or uh, a player versus player or player versus you, you're the guy that settles it. Oh, sometimes you can change things like, all right, I want everybody to have a vote. I think as a GM, it's best to at least get everybody's input. Like, mm-hmm. what does everyone think? I think a lot of times that also helps kind of give you backup. So, for example, there's some conflict. A player is mad at the GM, right, for something. A rust monster attacked him and destroyed his sword, and that's the only weapon he had, and he's really upset about it. Like, why would you target me and all that stuff? I'll be like, well, this is why I target you. Does anyone think that was unfair? Maybe should I have done that differently? And a lot of times you'll see, well, everyone else agrees, and the guy sees that he's the only one that feels that way. And that way it's just not you versus him. You kind of get the idea. Or you can find out, yeah, dude, I was in front. Why didn't you target me? And then you're like, oh, maybe that was a mistake of mine. You got to make snap decisions as a DM a lot because there's so many possibilities in the game. There's not going to be rules as written for every single scenario. And your job as a DM is that you make that decision. Mm. Ahead of time, just like we'll talk about it later in the extra credit, but you got to agree ahead of time. How are we going to handle things like this? Are we just going to let me rule? Are we going to have a vote? Decide ahead of time. That way, when conflicts arise, you're not making up rules on the spot while everyone's heated. 
But it is your job. Everyone's going to look to you. It's like you look to the teacher in a classroom to settle things. You're just the position of authority, quote unquote. And being the person in authority, you're also kind of the leader. You tell the group whether or not you're going to be meeting that week because sometimes people do something comes up. Someone's going to miss a session. They have to. And it's your job as a DM to notify everyone and decide whether are we going to play without this person? Or are we going to put them on autopilot following the party? Or are we going to just not meet this week? Are we going to play something else perhaps? Right. I generally, with somebody calls out, calls out sick, I mark them up on their record and I send it to, to corporate and then they get fired. No, I, uh, I generally cancel my games because I run smaller. If I'm running a four player campaign, I'll make, I'll make a judgment call on where we are in the story. How important is it? If they're the crux, if something's really happening with their mother or whatever. That, we keep talking about like referencing people's mothers. I don't think I've ever brought anyone's mother into it. Maybe <laughs> once. Regardless, something happening with them, like, got canceled. But otherwise, I'm like, no, nah, he could be on autopilot. He'd be, you take him as an NPC. Exactly. That's happened a tons of times to me. Like, someone had to miss, and it's like, oh, well, we're kind of, they're really important to the story at the moment. Like, everything's kind of revolving around them. It would be really awkward not to have them when we're, like, interacting with their family or people from their backstory so yeah we're gonna have to cancel this time or sometimes it's like well we're just kind of walking around not doing anything like there's nothing particularly important happening so we can have a game without this person just walking around following the party all right guys roll initiative does it have a weak spot <laughs> and how many feet away is it from it has anything in pathfinder had a weak spot yet and while we're on the subject can a dragon fit in the room we're fighting in? Well, it depends. Anyone have Crisco in their equipment list? Yeah, I picked it up. <laughs> Last time we were in town, I grabbed it. Oh, well, yeah, that definitely. Absolutely. Well, Kev, I have a question. On my character sheet, it says you gave me half a million gold last episode. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I got that, too. I, I wrote that down. <laughs> if we could not be children for, like, three seconds, I would like that. So pretend that you're having fun for once. Look, they entertain themselves pretty darn well. I shoot it in the face. Of course you do. Without any diplomacy, it's right in the face. You shoot it. It's a Medusa, you said? <laughs> yeah. Yet another copyright infringing, non-original <laughs> character. I, I'd like to roll a sense motive on a DM. The GM, I'm sorry. I don't want to not say copyright. DM, man. We just got to not. Wow. But you want to get us copyright strike? You guys have iTunes here? Obviously, you have Tolkien here, so... <laughs> Tolkien came across and his elves and his dwarves. <laughs> Did you like what you just heard? A couple of guys hanging out, role-playing? That was Trailblazers, our actual play podcast. You can find it every Tuesday right here on the Trailblazer Network. Hope to see you there. That's it. Rocks fall. Everyone dies. Everyone roll in your character. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling this is going to take a lot longer than 10 minutes. Let's go over a couple tips for a GM. One of the, the biggest things is that everyone needs to be on the same page. This will get rid of so much conflict right ahead of time. We're talking a lot about conflict, guys. We're doing a whole episode. <gasps> it's the next episode. What's that? Player types <laughs> and conflict. Look at that. Look at that. But one thing you can kind of avoid the conflict and it's good. It's, it's a good mood. Is everyone on the same page? Is this a relaxed campaign or a serious campaign? Can we drink today? Are we going to have fun like that or not? Set that all up ahead of time. Like, what's the atmosphere of the campaign? Is it like, are we doing some dark, grim, low fantasy, survival horror kind of thing? Or are we going to be doing a light, jovial right. kind of sandboxy sky pirates campaign? Like, 
the players and the GM all to be on the same page and how they're approaching the role playing for this. Right. You don't want to, in the middle of running a Cthulhu campaign, find out three of your four players hate Cthulhu in the whole Lovecraftian mythos. Oops. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> be on the same page. Like this is, two of your characters want to be samurai, and <laughs> I don't think it's a class in Call of Cthulhu. When those rules disputes we talked about come up, sometimes there will be rulings on it, but you don't know it off the top of your head, and you really don't want to slow things down by looking it up. In which case, as a GM, I suggest making a snap decision, saying this is how we're going to handle it for now in this encounter. We're going to look it up afterwards, and then, or I'm going to look it up after the, the session's over, and then I'll tell you what the real ruling is, and then we'll proceed from this point on with the real ruling. Right, and, and the way Christian said that is perfect. He's super consistent with that, like, hey, guys, this is what we're doing now. We'll change it later. He's saying that out loud. You're not just making it up and not letting anyone know at the next session changing the rules. Everyone knows, and when you say that out loud, I don't think I've any, had anyone get upset. They're like, okay, that's fair, mm-hmm. because they don't want to sit there and look it up either. <laughs> now, something... Be they very, don't want to read. Be very careful. If you're not going to look it up there, and then your player kind of looks up on the side and says, oh, I figured it out. It's a climb check. Don't change. And I'll tell you why. You might think, why not change? Now we know the real rules. Because whatever other way you did it, let's say someone makes a climb check, right? Uh, somebody had to go up a rope. I told them to make an athletics check. Later on, we find out that should be a climb check. Well, that player who did it, say he has a higher athletics than he has a climb. He made it. He wouldn't have made it if it was a climb check. The next player goes, oh, no, I got to make a climb check. I don't have any climb, but I got a ton of athletics. He got to go up. I didn't. Don't do that. Keep it consistent for that session. Let him make that athletics check. Otherwise, it's just unfair. Here's one where I think Christian and I might disagree a little bit. My philosophy is say yes when you can. Your player wants to do something. Try to find all the ways in which they can do it. Try as little as possible to say no. The attitude starting in is how can I let them do it? Not how can I find a rule so that they can't do it? People sometimes hear the thing like the GM should say yes all the time or whenever possible. I fundamentally disagree with that. It is the GM's job to know when to say no to certain things. And as a perfect example, I was running like a one shot kind of thing. And I was like, all right, you guys are from like a backwater town. You're level one. I excluded a bunch of, cl- I said like, don't pick anything exotic, like a witch or an oracle because you guys are backwoods kind of hillbilly kind of people. And one of my players came up and was like, oh, I have a character idea. I want to play a Kitsune Samurai. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, I I stated right off the bat that nothing exotic. And you picked like the two, the most exotic, one of the most exotic races and classes possible. And it's not even like she was like, I want to use samurai, but I'm going to represent the mechanics like this. It was like, no, I literally want to be a samurai with a katana and Oyoro armor. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? And like not... That's when they're specifically going against rules that I've put forward that you have to say no. But sometimes one of my players, for instance, go to do something completely out of character, completely random, LOL, let me pull out my spork, like, oh, I'm going to eat the corpse. And I was like, no, no, you're not. We don't. That's not in your characters that you have no reason to do that. You're just doing it because you're bored and not really paying attention. I'm, I'm you know, your character doesn't eat the corpse. I'm Sometimes sorry. that's a problem with player type, which, again, we're covering in our next episode. <laughs> Ooh, he's just kind of that antagonist kind of person. And he just keeps on doing things that are just random just to be a, a troll. Right. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny enough that we kind of butt heads a little bit on this subject because you, one of the things you said and did was the biggest moment for me for my gymming philosophy being like, oh, of course, I got to let players do what they want. We were designing an encounter together for a finale of my one of my campaigns, that campaign that ran for eight hours every week. 
uh, the finale of like the first half or, you know, we had a long break after that before we got back to it, tied up a whole bunch of lines. Um, we were designing a room and it was a clay golem room. Remember this? And mm-hmm. they had to get by the clay golem because they didn't have eyes. You could only hear a bunch of little sound traps and all that stuff. There's one section. There was just a bunch of oozes patrolling a room and they had to kind of dodge it. In one area, there was like a wall that separated the two areas. And I'm like, okay, I got to make sure this wall reaches the ceiling. That way they can't just jump over it. That way they have to go through this little thing I set up. And you said, no, make it a certain amount of feet. That way a player, if he thinks of it, wants to roll a climber in acrobatics, they can. And it's up to them. If they're smart enough and they're clever enough to mention that, reward them for that. And when you said that, I'm like, you're so right. And from then on, encounters I designed always had like other ways you could get around it. Or if I didn't design a way around it, if a player found a way around it, I wouldn't stop them. I made that mistake in the past. A guy had a fly spell and they're in a canyon. I'm like, oh, he's just going to fly and bypass all this stuff. And like, we, I threw that. I kept like trying to stop him and do different things. And then halfway around, I said, you know what? That's unfair. I'm sorry, Steven. You want to fly over it. You have fly spell. That's You can do it. I just think it's more fun for your players and for you. Like I said, sometimes interesting things happen that you weren't expecting when your players think of something you don't. Like, I still agree fundamentally like, with the idea that you should be trying to say yes when possible because the players have powers and you don't want to take away their agency in the world. But it's just, I like I said, it's the GM's responsibility. There are times where you need to say no, where this is going to divulge a story in a stupid direction. <laughs> right. if, he, if he eats the corpse, well, you just got witnessed by like the guards and now you're going to have to yeah. get arrested by the guards. And now it's an evil campaign. I'm going to say no to you eating the corpse for no reason other than you're not paying attention and want to be a troll. Right. There, boy, how many, I don't think ever, ever being arrested has ever brought a, like a good part of my campaign. <laughs> Let's talk about undoing mistakes. I have a personal philosophy on this. I don't undo mistakes except for certain circumstances. So if a player, there was a perfect example where I was playing a game of yours. I said, oh, I have sneak attack. And you said, it's somebody else's turn. You forgot about it. Remember for next time. So I don't undo mistakes unless the person's turn hasn't ended yet. Like we're just about to start the next guy, but he hasn't done anything. He goes, oh, I want to. Okay, yeah, cool. I'll let him do that. Or if it is a matter of life and death. If we forgot something and then because of that forgetfulness, somebody dies. I'll say, all right, we can go back. Maybe that sneak attack damage would have killed him before he killed your ally. Let's go back and do it. Or I had a plus two AC bracer I forgot about. That attack wouldn't have hit me. That just killed me. All right, you're right. You you had mentioned this before in passing to me, and I was kind of disagreeing with it. But when I think more about it, I do like drawing the line at like character death because when a character dies, you don't want it to be because of a stupid mistake like that. Like, oh, whoops, I forgot my shield of faith buff, and that led to my character death. That's a really anticlimactic way for your character to die. And I'd prefer someone to die in like a meaningful, impactful way and not like, because the player's going to remember that and be like, I'd be angry, honestly. Right. That happened to me. Player death. That sounds like something might be complicated. Maybe that we'd be covering in another episode coming up, guys. Oh, oh. But this actually, believe it or not, is more beneficial to the players than it is for the evil NPCs. Because as a GM, you're actually probably going to forget more things than the players. Because you've got a lot of things juggling. Mm-hmm. Especially in encounters. Yeah. you get got five different books open for five different beasts. And you have to keep track of how you wanted it to go and what they're supposed to do. And the, what the speed monologues are supposed to be from the evil bad guy. You forget that, oh, this guy, he has this all these feats for charging. Why I should have charged with him. Oh, well, I didn't do it. Next turn, maybe. I'll forget things. Oh, he had this feat. Oh, man, he had DR-15 adamantine. I forgot all about that. Oh, man, these lanterns had 
aura of menace that I forgot to have everyone make a will save. Well, you can't redo the entire combat right. because you forgot one thing right. on one enemy. So it's the same thing. I won't go back unless I think even in that case, if I forget something and the and the NPC dies, I don't go back. Right. It's just for player death. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, believe me or not, believe it or not, the players benefit more from this rule than the encounter does. Minimal retconning, minimal undoing. Now, not to say, I, I, there's been many times, you probably won't hear it in Trailblazers because I edited it out, but I'll start an episode saying, guys, I want to retcon something that happened story-wise. Story-wise, as long as your players are cool on it, and generally it's small things or things that haven't really influenced anything later. Let me think of an example. There was these things that were hunting down the party, but I had said in the game that it was hunting down a specific player, and I realized later, oh, that didn't make sense for the way these things are supposed to be working. So the next next day we started, I said, hey guys, quick retcon. When the guy said, um, I came here because of David, he actually said, I came here because of you guys. Small little change, didn't matter much, but it did have implications later on that I needed to make sure we were okay. So retconning can happen, just make sure everybody's okay with it. You usually, if you see your players putting up a fight, feel free to give in if it's if they're making good points. Let's talk about a little thing called illusion of choice. The GMing book talks about this, so we got to be careful with it, but I want to talk about it. If you have set up an encounter, especially as a new GM, you know, it takes, you put a lot of thought into an encounter for your players, and you want to get them to that encounter, say a goblin, you want, want them to raid the goblin stronghold. They find out from, you have a plan, they're going to talk to the barmaid, and the barmaid's going to be like, yeah, these goblins keep raiding our town, that's why I don't got the beer in for you, I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, where is it? Oh, it's over here in the caves. Oh, you get the encounter. <laughs> but what if the guys don't care? Oh, you find out, oh, your characters don't care about alcohol, they go to, they, they're, they're not going to go to the bar. Uh, 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 what am I supposed to do? They're, my whole encounter is thrown out the window. No, they get interested in this other guy, this this beggar, for some reason, they throw him a coin, and they're like, you know anything around town, guy? He mentions, uh, yeah, there's beggars. And then you can do it in a whole different way, make the guy a crazed old lunatic or whatever, how you want to do it. But you still get them, inform them about the goblins. And this is actually part of, like, whether you're going to do your game linearly uh, or non-linearly. Wait a second. That's something else we're going to cover in a later <laughs> episode. Episode Homebrew versus Premates. Ah! Um, the one time I did, I do this all the time. I love Illusion of Choice, actually. Um, when it's in, like, non-serious, non-really story-implicating things. For instance, my players were just, like, walking, trying to find their way through the woods, and they came to a river, and I was like, do you guys go north down the river or south up the river? And they're like, mm, um, they thought about it. They're like, oh, let's go. Then they decided to go this way. And I was like, all right, you guys start walking that way. You eventually find a tree falling over across the river. If they had gone the other way, they would have found right. the same thing. Right. But they're trying to progress, so they're not going to go back and be like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> let's go the other direction. Right. And be careful. You're not you're not trying to use this to rob your players. Right. There's times you use it and times not to. If, for example, the goblin example, if they find out from the crazed old man or the barmaid, either one, and they're just not interested, they're like, yeah, who cares? Let's move on to the next town. Let them do that. Don't force them. We're not about forcing them. Oh, they, while well, along the way to the new town, you come across the goblin stronghold. <laughs> Listen, they don't, they obviously are not interested. Don't force it. Mm-hmm. There may be consequences. Now, next time they come back to the town, it's gone because the goblin's raider. Now it's a goblin town. Whatever. There's consequences and stuff, but don't force your players to do something they don't want to do. It's mostly for you as the GM to make storytelling a bit smoother. Like, the players don't know exactly how you have the dungeon laid out. They don't know what encounters in what room. When they enter some places, you can move things around. Move an encounter here because it makes more sense for it to be here. Right. We'll cover this more in Premades versus Homebrew. Maybe making good counters or storytelling tips. All three different episodes you guys should listen to. <laughs> the important point is your players can't tell the difference. No, the important point is there's more episodes to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> 
now, I think we saved the best for last. The most important thing, this is your responsibility as a GM. This is something you need to prepare for. This is a tip for you. Engage each player. Make sure everybody's having fun. The same guy I was talking about, Koibu, who hosts Roleplay, he's done more campaigns than Christian, you and I combined. Mm-hmm. You go online, you can find everything, f- stuff that he does. He's really into it. I think he does 3.5. Um, his, again, his real name is Neil Erickson. I asked him on one of his streams, I said, hey, I'm a GM. What's what's your number one tip for GMing? And I was expecting some rule thing or something. His number one tip was make sure your players are having fun. That's his biggest tip. And that's my biggest tip to you. No matter what we're doing, no matter how you're doing it, no matter what things you prepare, all this advice to give you, it's all. And keep in mind to make sure your players and everybody at the table is having fun. Is everyone engaged? Is everyone there having fun? Is everybody doing what they want to get out of it? Then you're then you're doing a good job. I mean, that's the whole point. That's why we're doing this. We're not trying to like write down a real literary story and publish it and stuff. We're trying. We're hanging out. Maybe for, you're not. <laughs> we're hanging out for a few hours and we're doing an activity that we find fun. Right. So everyone should find it fun. Right. Especially because the sacrifice to play with that many people in one place is greater than sometimes if you're playing League of Legends, you just happen to be on with another friend who happens to be at the same time. You play. This, you're making a, a dedicated attempt. You're spending time. Especially as you get older, time is just so valuable. You've got so many things to do. If I'm carving out, if I, if I'm carving out five hours, let's make it worth it. And I make it a point. I, I don't always do this perfectly but i make it a point during each session to try to have an npc or someone engage each player directly at some point you do have someone that's probably going to be the party face and they're going to try and take over the conversation which they should do because that's like their character's point but you should make a point for everyone to get talked to at some point and have input into the game right well guys that's the basics of being a gm there's so many more specifics we've got a ton of episodes coming on you can listen to them if you're interested in one over the other if you're interested in how do i handle romance listen to the romance episode things like that our next episode is going to be on player types and conflict and for this episode we are going to have an extra credit where we're going to talk about other considerations to have for dming and playing with other players we're going to talk about etiquette and philosophies in a little bit more detail yeah what do you do when you're at somebody's house there are different rules stuff like that all right thanks for listening class is dismissed pathfinder academy is part of the trailblazer network visit our site for other great pathfinder podcasts i've been nicholas laborde thanks for listening The defendant who stands before us today has been found guilty. His crimes include burglary, larceny, assault, assault with a deadly weapon, taking thy lord's name in vain, and murder. Does the defendant have anything to say before us and before the eyes of God before he is hanged? I roleplay so I can be more like my heroes. All right, you sons of bitches. Cut the shit. I'm Michael... Douglas, I'm an Academy Award winner, and I'm going to run at them, brandishing this jeweled, hooked blade of power and unknown darkness. May God have mercy on your soul, young man. Here is Softly Speaking Sanskrit. We know why we roleplay. Why do you roleplay? SoftlySpeakingSanskrit.com